Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Dumbener. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Kristen is out this week enjoying some downtime this summer, but I get to talk to one of my favorite people on the planet, author, humorist, and all-around wonderful human, Wendy Ahrens. We're going to be talking about humor and women and girls, something we all need more of these days. And as always, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. So stick around. I will be back with Wendy right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Mabel's Labels. I can tell you, as a devoted Mabel's Labels user for the past 10 years or so, they are amazing. Their back-to-school combo packs are a parent's lifesaver because they come with all the labels you need to make sure your kid's school gear, lunch bags, gym clothes, sports equipment, even their socks and shoes actually come back home with them at the end of the day. Plus, there are huge discounts right now on the site for you early back-to-school shoppers. They stay on beautifully even when you run them through the dishwasher or run the clothing labels through tons of wash cycles. I don't know how they do it, but somehow they do. And kids love them because they're so customizable. They love sitting down with me, spending time on the site, customizing them, picking out their own fonts and colors and icons from skulls to butterflies to flaming skateboards. Just visit mabelslabels.com. That's M-A-B-E-L-S, mabelslabels.com and take advantage of their limited time back to school discounts. While you're there, be sure to check out their ultimate back to school combo. Or if you have preschoolers or kids in daycare, their little kids school combo is a great choice. It even includes shoe stickers that help kids tell their right from their left in a very clever way. But there's lots to see on the site. They have dedicated labels just for soccer, dance, and baseball, a line of customizable allergy tags and medical alert labels, even a birthday party label pack if you've got some goodie bags in your future. If you haven't been to Mabel's Labels for a while, I think you'll be amazed at some of the creative new sets they have. Visit right now for some sweet back-to-school savings at mabelslabels.com for a limited time. So let me tell you a little bit about my amazing guest. You may already know, Wendy Ahrens is a freelance humor writer whose work has appeared in the New Yorker Daily Shouts, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, U.S. Weekly Fashion Police, I'm kind of jealous of that one, Scary Mommy, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, and other outlets, including Cool Mom Picks. In fact, you might remember her from this very show, talking about one of her columns on our site about the children's TV shows from the 2000s that made her life a living hell. And we still get angry comments on that post on our site from uh, Rabid Wonder Pets fans, which is kind of interesting. Wendy's writing is included in several anthologies, including Keep Scrolling Till You Feel Something, 21 Years of Humor from McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and her humor pieces have been performed by award-winning actresses, including Uzo Aduba of Orange is the New Black, Sharon Hogan of Catastrophe, and Alison Brie of Glow. Wendy has won tons of awards for her writing, and if you've ever read her blog or followed her personal Twitter account, Wendy Ahrens, you'll know why. So what are we going to talk about? Well, Wendy has two funny books for adults coming out soon. I'm wearing two 
Onyx Now, <laughs> I can relate, coming out later this year, and Rock Your Socks, which will be published by Chronicle Books in 2023. But right now, this second, she is out with her first middle grade book, Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian. And I think this is such a good opportunity to talk about the importance of funny girls and women. So, Wendy, welcome. Thank you. And I was listening to all of that like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. One. Yeah, you know, people tend to say that. Like, they're so surprised to hear they did all the things in the bio that they are their publicist sent to us. Yeah, and I think I'm so excited to be here. I had so much fun last time saying bad things about the Wonder Pets. So be sure, let's include that later on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Backyard again, like a Caillou reference or Ubi, you know, it gets a lot of people really angry. Yeah. It's like all yeah. those kids from 2007, they're now adults oh, or, you know, yeah. college students with their own Twitter accounts. So they come on to yell at us. But, you know, that's part of being a woman comedian. It'd be like us getting angry at people for making fun of Captain Kangaroo, right? Right. Us olds or, you know, the radio shows we listened to in the 20s. <laughs> we sat around right. at night with our neighbors. A little open nanny <laughs> with our decoder rings. <laughs> so I was thinking about, oh gosh, now this will age me, about 15 years ago during the early blogger event stuff, I got to visit the set of the TV show, The New Adventures of Old Christine. Oh, wow. And it was right after someone had published an article about women not being funny. Mm-hmm. And I asked Wanda Sykes and Julia Louis-Dreyfus about that and they had a lot to say. And I'm wondering, like, have things changed since then? Do you still hear things like that or do you think we've gotten past it? We've gotten past it by a large percentage just because of all of the prominence of so many great women directors and actors and comedians and the generation underneath us, the millennials, they're much more active and they're on it from the jump. There's so many satirists working now compared to when I started 15 years ago on McSweeney's and almost all of the trending pieces on McSweeney's are written by women. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the proof is in the pudding that way. But as far as the stupid articles that come out every now and then, it's not so much mainstream media saying things. It's just the typical trolls. You know, they don't like women in general anywhere. So that's been my experience. I haven't been told I'm not funny for quite a while. So I guess that's progress. (laughs) I remember there was a time where guys would be like, women are not funny, except Sarah Silverman. Like that was the okay person to like as a comedian. And now I feel like I know we're both on Twitter a lot and people like Jen Kirkman and, Uh you know, even Kathy Griffin and, Uh you know, names people know and don't know are really on there, like hammering home women are funny and like amplifying other women. And I think social media has actually helped a lot with the proliferation of funny women around. It really has. And if you see anybody like Kathy Griffin or Sarah Silverman, you know, kind of our age comedian getting attacked, it's most likely because they're speaking out politically. So it's not just they're trying to make a joke about shopping or something stupid and they're getting attacked. They're using their voices like you and I both do to talk about the awful things going on in the world. So they're not being attacked because they're female comedians. They're just being attacked because they're females. Let's talk about that because I love that so many humorous people are using their voice to talk about stuff in the world. And I think back to the satirical Twitter account that you launched before the 2016 election, Paul Ryan Gosling. (laughs) which even made it to Rachel Maddow, among other places. And like one sample tweet, hey girl, are you Russian? Because I want to collude with you so hard that I get investigated for it. It was genius. And it always makes me wonder how people find the humor when things suck, because sometimes I struggle with that, but you're really good at it. Oh, thank you. That's my coping mechanism. If you feel powerless because you don't have a voice, for me, it's using humor to express these things. I don't think I'm articulate enough to get out and make a big speech or, you know, 
know, do something using lots of facts and research and all of that sort of thing. I'm not a real pundit like that, but I can use the rubber sword to make a point without drawing blood and make a joke about it, or at least draw people's attention because while they're laughing, they're seeing like, oh yeah, she's right about this, or I'm going to go find out more about this. So it's kind of a launching point, I guess. And how do you evaluate that? Because I think what's tough is some people try to make jokes about serious situations and you're like, whoa, too soon. Or like, ooh, that's punching Mm -hmm. down. Or like, it's just Mm -hmm. wrong and it doesn't hit. And then some people just really get it right. Like the onion is such a great example. I remember after 9-11 thinking, how could they joke about this? And somehow they managed to do it with that famous headline. Like, holy shit, World Trade Center attacked. How do you find that balance to make sure it's right and effective, but not off-putting? I guess I've just done it long enough that I can kind of tell if something's too mean or too dark. And I'm very well aware of putting something out on Twitter like that. It's going to be right for attack. Years ago, when we did Paul Ryan Gods and we had a tweet about Betsy DeVos, that was not a great, well-thought-out tweet. It was really funny, but it was really not appropriate. And we got attacked right away by people who were our supporters. Mm. So we took it down right away. And that doesn't happen very often. But yeah, sometimes I do have missteps. If you go by the punch up, not down theory, where it's okay to mock and shed a light on people in power, then you're pretty much okay. And if you're attacking them based on what their actions and beliefs are, especially if those actions and beliefs are hurting other people, that's okay. It's never okay to attack somebody because of their appearance or their race or their gender. You know, we all know this. So that's going to open you up even more. But if you just go after them and make a joke about, you know, uh, I think we had a Paul Ryan Gosling one that said, hey, girl, I hope you're middle class because I can't wait to screw you. So that was his policy. (laughs) Oh, is that bad that that made me laugh? No, no, (laughs) it should make you laugh. It wasn't like attacking him as a human. It's attacking his actions and his beliefs and what he's doing at the expense of others. I think that's a good way to look at it. It's kind of like, you know, you Mm -hmm. see people making jokes about like a woman in politics that they don't like their politics and suddenly it'll be about their body or their hair or their makeup. And, you know, there's other places to go besides, oh, she's been eating a lot or whatever. I I love that we've kind of collectively gotten past that. And so I'm actually curious on your insight on whether kids are picking that up, because I know one of the things you do is you do comedy writing workshops for kids, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. Do you find that they're kind of ahead of where we were then in terms of like sensitivities and humor or what kinds of things do you feel like you need to teach them or what are you learning from them? Yeah, they're definitely ahead of us. And I think when you and I grew up, mean humor was celebrated, insult humor was celebrated. Even if you watch 30 Rock, which wasn't that long ago, it's a lot of insults and making fun of people, you know, like gay jokes and that sort of thing. Mm. Society has progressed so quickly from that, that now those things are no longer acceptable. They shouldn't have been, but now they aren't and kids have picked up on that. You know, I never had to tell a kid like, no, that's mean or no, you don't pick on people like that. They just know not to do it, I guess, because they don't see it and they don't hear it anymore on TV or in movies. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And it's not like they're trying to be great citizens. They just, it's not on their radar. Also because they've had so many lessons about not being a bully in school Mm. and not being a bully is, you know, if, if they're teasing somebody and say something that makes somebody else cry, then it's not funny. So I hope that's part of it too. 
when we talk about this in class and I teach them the punch up, not down, and that if something you think is funny makes somebody else sad, it's not funny, they get it right away. Nobody ever challenges me on it because they instinctually understand it. And I think a lot of the kids in the class realize they don't want anybody making fun of them either. Mm. So they don't want to do it to somebody else. Well, do you think by definition that the kids who are drawn to your class or drawn to comedy are kids that are more likely to be bullied than be the bully? Like I hear so many stories from comedians about how it was a coping mechanism when they were growing up or it helped them deflect attacks or, you know, get them attention in positive ways. What's your experience with that? Yeah, there's for sure some kids in the class who are really quiet. And I was a quiet kid and they express themselves best through writing. So they probably aren't confident in that they could do the repartee or they can make a funny joke on the spot. But I think they want to be able to do that. So that's reason to take the class and just kind of build that muscle. Yeah, they're more in their head. So many of them, man, they just have the most natural comedic voice. You know, that's why I'm so passionate about it because I think that voice disappears, especially for girls when they get into the teen years. Mm. But it's so pure and funny when they're young. And I was like that too, but I was very quiet about it. And there weren't any classes like this to take. I mean, you could at best maybe get a poetry writing class, probably not even that. But one example, there was a, an eight-year-old girl named Emma in my class one summer and I was teaching them the rule of threes because mm-hmm. we go over all the basic elements. And I said, write the rule of threes about what you did last summer. So without hesitation, she just wrote right away. This summer, I did a lot of things. I painted, I went on a picnic, I joined the Illuminati and forever isolated my parents. <laughs> I was on the floor <laughs> She's laughing. eight? She's eight. And I was oh my just, gosh. But that's the way her brain operates. And she just had that gift. And, you know, there are adults that could sit and try to write something like that for hours and never get it. So I'm like, I want to preserve her in amber and like make sure that, you know, she's <laughs> like the chosen one that needs to be protected at all costs. It was just such a good lesson about the goofy, weird way her mind works. And so many girls are like, that so many kids are like that. And if they have a way to express it, it's great. And the other thing is not every funny kid is a performer. I never was. I never mm. wanted to be in acting. And I know your girls are, or your older girl for sure is a great actress. They, they both are yeah. studying drama. Which is fantastic. And I never had that confidence or interest in it. So that gives you a little bit more of a limitation. Like I was never going to be doing goofy videos or you know anything like that. And I think a lot of the kids in my camps are like that. They'd rather be writing jokes at a desk. So I always tell them, like, if you like writing jokes, find somebody that you're friends with who gets your sense of humor. And if they want to be the one getting on stage and telling the jokes, you're a great team. Or write videos for somebody who likes to be on camera. You know, so I'm trying to get Mm. them to think more about it. You can form these partnerships. And, you know, we certainly know a gazillion successful comedic partnerships over history. So I try to just get them thinking about all of that. And then this other thing I try to teach them, which you out of anybody I know will appreciate, is that advertising is a great place yes. for them to <laughs> be is. funny, for better or worse. But, you know, I wrote copy for a while. I wrote ads and radio spots. But that's where being kind of a witty, quippy, fast-thinking person is rewarded. So we do a lot of writing billboards and writing ads for things and writing radio commercials in my camps because it's such an economical way with language and to make your point quick and, you know, entertaining. So I encourage any kid who's interested in this type of writing to just try writing some ads. I love that. I mean, actually, it was in ninth grade, I knew I wanted to become a copywriter because I started writing ads for myself running for student council and they were funny and no one had done funny student council ads. It was like, vote for me, more student parking 
saying or vote for me. I have integrity. And I was like making weird cartoons or like ripping pages out of magazines and putting quotes in people's mouths about voting for me. And I never expected to win. I just wanted to make the ads. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I lost by one vote. And uh -huh. at that point, I thought, well, I'm not meant to be in politics, but I could definitely write. And that's <laughs> how I figured it out. So that's good advice. That's such a great story. I've never heard that before. That's great. And that was your natural voice. It's like all you needed to find was the method to get it out there. Exactly. Exactly. And I will tell you, though, it's much easier to write ads for other people and products than for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but I think those kids are lucky to have you to help encourage them and lucky to have their parents that sign them up for a class like yours. And I keep thinking about how many kids are going to want to be comedians after reading <laughs> Ginger Mancino. Oh my gosh. It's such a good book. It's so good. I mean, Wendy, listen, on Cool Mom Picks, we got a zillion books from first-time authors or self-published people or people trying to write kids' books that send stuff to us. And it is hard to write funny for kids. Like, you don't realize that until you read the really bad ones. <laughs> like, I know that sounds awful, but, you know, we can only recommend good stuff. We have to be really critical. And just in a nutshell, Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian, is about a 12-year-old professional comedian. She's struggling with middle school, as one does. And she uses humor and, I guess, strength and her resourcefulness to overcome issues when her life is falling apart again, as it does in middle school. It's so delightful and relatable and funny and has the right amount of emotion. And ah, it's really good. Thank you. Where did this come from? Was this based on personal experience? Like, where did she come from in that head of yours? Well, thank you for all of that. And I admit that I'm really proud of this. And it's the first fiction book I've ever written. You know, it's been years in the making. So I'm really so pleased with the way it's come out. But a few years ago, a couple of women that worked on putting books together saw me read something in a show and they thought that my voice was very funny. So they asked if I had interest in writing a book for middle grade. And I hadn't, but I had just read Mindy Kaling's first memoir, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And she talked in there about growing up as a comedy nerd and watching SNL and, you know, taping it and writing down the sketches and all of that stuff. And it made me think like, oh, I grew up like that too. I just never really labeled it. But I watched Carol Burnett and SNL and Laverne and Shirley. And I was checking out Irma Bombeck books from the library when I was 10. Oh. And, same, know, same. Yeah. And I'm like laughing at middle-aged domestic humor, but yes. I knew it was a well-written, witty type of book. I remember reading Steve Martin's books in like fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had the sensibilities early on and you just gravitate towards that. And there wasn't as much out there then. So you had to be a little bit open to finding new things. But I knew right away I wanted to write something about a funny girl comedy nerd. So I started with Ginger and I made her a stand-up comic and I wanted her to have that disruption in her life at age 12, which puberty basically is. She gets dropped by her managers because she's reached that awkward age and has to go back to middle school in Austin, Texas for the first time. She's navigating this new world and trying to be herself and keep her humor going, but the other kids don't really get it. Mm. It's sort of, you know, like a metaphor for just starting in middle school as any kid starts. You don't feel like you know where you fit in necessarily. And she starts getting mysterious texts from her comedy heroes like Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling and Sarah 
Sarah Silverman, previously mentioned, mm-hmm. that give her life advice. And these are all real quotes that I found these women have made. And she will get one of these mystery texts and apply that advice to her day. And it kind of helps her find her path and find her way to be funny in school. Meanwhile, you know, there's a great relationship with her parents. And then she makes her first best friend, Daisy Rodriguez. And, you know, they face adversity and it comes out great in the end. And my husband just read it recently and he said he got teary at the end. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of people have that reaction. Because she's well-developed. I mean, she's very real. And I think that's the difference between feeling something for a person or for a character versus just laughing at them. Like she's not a vessel for comedy. She's very human. Yeah, thank you. And as you know, you have to have some heart with humor to really make it resonate. So I think that's why, you know, people are rooting for her to have the happy ending. And I hadn't planned that when I started writing it, but that's just sort of how it played out when I got to the end. So yeah, I'm really happy with it. And I'm so happy it's resonating with people who've read it already, including adults and at least three 10-year-old boys that (laughs) I've heard have picked it up and like plowed through it in a day. And uh, my friend Suzanne said, it must be magic because her son read it unprompted, spent the whole day doing it and didn't look once at his video game. So that's a big endorsement. That's the highest praise, right? Yeah, exactly. Also, I love that you're talking about boys reading it because, you know, we talk a lot about diverse books here and we've had Mina Harris on to talk about that and LeVar Burton. He was our first celebrity guest. But we often think about diverse books as being about race or maybe like cultural background. And I think sometimes parents aren't inclined to get books with female heroes in front of their sons, or they don't actively think about that as being important. And I know that one of the things you struggled with, you wrote this incredible piece for the Today Show website about how Ginger was almost, I don't know, Jean. (laughs) Ginger was almost not Ginger, right? Yeah, when an earlier iteration of the book, I had an agent at the time who sent it to all the publishers in New York. And the feedback we got was that they really liked my writing and they thought it was funny, but they found the girl character too annoying, which I don't know if they'd never met a 12-year-old girl or if they'd never been a 12-year-old girl. But, or have they know. not read Judy Bloom? Yes, I mean, exactly. come on. It's not like a new trope yeah, or something. Exactly. So that was disheartening. And then it was suggested to me that it probably would sell if I changed the main character to a boy because we have Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Nate the Great and all these really funny boy characters. And I didn't even hesitate and say, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. And I have two sons. So, you know, I'm familiar with what's out there for them. And I know they would have loved it if I changed it to a boy too, but there was no way because that was the whole spirit of the book was having this funny girl. But the other reason why is because I took like a 30 year break from being this funny kid or writing funny stuff on my own to stopping. And, you know, I was more interested in being like nice and well behaved and a good employee and blah, blah, besides writing some funny advertising, but (laughs) I never really embraced that part of myself until I was in my 40s. And then I started writing satire and humor to kind of make sense of the world around me. So like a late bloomer as far as that went, but I was very passionate that I wanted something out there that would reach and resonate with girls ages 8 to 12 earlier. So they would recognize that part of themselves and be like, oh, hey, I like this. Maybe I'm going to study creative writing in school, or maybe I'm going to start writing funny columns for the school newspaper or Mm 
mm. start a funny YouTube channel, whatever. So that's why I stuck to my guns as far as the book. I put it in a drawer and I was just happy to have it not published and published with a boy character. That's really impressive, I have to say, because you spent a lot of time writing a book and the publisher says, great, I'll buy it, but change this one thing. Mm -hmm. And for you to say, no, this is my voice and this is what's important to me. That's tough to say no, I would think. It wasn't even a hesitation because I just felt so strongly about it. It's not like changing a dog to a cat. <laughs> and then I was introduced to a woman named Nicole Sullivan who owns Book Bar Denver, which is a small bookstore in Denver. It's a bookstore and a bar. Highly recommend that combination. <laughs> She's got a great sense of humor and she read the book, loved it and wanted to publish it under her new independent imprint. So went back and forth. We got a great editor, Heather Garbo, who got into it and just, oh, she was fantastic. She did a, like a lot of sensitivity reading and a lot of things that I didn't have originally, like how middle grade readers really respond to descriptions of visceral emotions. So, you know, I added things in there, like there were butterflies in my stomach or my head felt like it was on fire. Like I didn't have a lot of that in there originally. And she knew that that's what kids really want to see or want to read mm. at that age. So that made it a lot more rich too. And they've just been the biggest champions of it. So I'm calling us the little book that could because we have <laughs> no marketing budget. It's just this small store. And, you know, it's just through people responding to this story like you did and the origins of it that it's getting a little bit of steam right now. So I'm really excited for that. Well, it's so good. I really hope people get it. And certainly it's on Amazon. It's at independent bookstores. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. But I think what's amazing is you did not stop there. Tell me about I'm Wearing Tunics Now on Growing Older, Better, and a Hell of a Lot Louder because the ability to jump from writing for kids to writing for us middle-aged folks is yeah. like, I think that's kind of amazing. Most people don't toggle between the two. Tell me about your upcoming book. Thank you. And I've been saying that I have a middle grade book and a middle age book. So that'll, <laughs> that's your advertising, copywriting. <laughs> I don't even know that all of these have been so long in the process and, you know, the pandemic time, I can't even tell you like how many years anything has been, <laughs> but somebody said, did you base ginger on anybody? And I said, basically ginger is me plus 40 years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like her sarcasm and humor and outlook is me as the middle-aged woman. So I still have that goofy, weird voice inside me that I did when I was her age, only now I'm using it better. Mm. So I'm wearing tunics now is a celebration of being a Gen X woman our age. I mean, there aren't a lot of books out there like that. And it details how I started crying that I was old on my 30th birthday. And nobody's old at 30, just for the record. <laughs> and then just details with funny essays, my life from 30 to 50 and culminates with me standing on the steps of the Texas Capitol, making a speech at the Women's March. Amazing. So, you know, this quiet voice that I hadn't developed yet really came out in middle age. So like Ginger finds her voice in middle school. Tunics is about finding my voice in middle age where you think if you're 40 and you're not using it, you're never going to get it. And I think that's completely wrong. And I think that it's such a great time of reinvention for women and for mothers. And if you don't have the life that you want at 40 or at 50, you know, go up there and get it. There's nothing stopping you. I mean, there are some things, but it's just use your voice and find your people and don't let just a number on your birth certificate stop you. I love that. Well, I think that's amazing advice for anyone, whether you want to write a book or be funny or just do anything else at all in life. Just do anything. It's not over till it's over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you and I both have so many mutual friends that have reinvented the themselves or they've just gotten more interest 
you know, so many of those people from the early blogging days have books or they have these huge careers or they went into politics. And it's these middle-aged women that I see forging new paths. It's not the middle-aged men. They're not the ones at the rallies and speaking out and trying new businesses. It's the women that I see doing it. Yeah. Well, I think some of us didn't realize until later that we have those opportunities and I'm using that uh-huh. kind of universal we here. Uh-huh. But I think there's something else to be said about the early bloggers that we kind of created an industry out of nothing. And so mm-hmm. maybe we just happen to be the types who are like, don't tell me I can't because I'm going to find it. <laughs> I'll find a way. Yeah, I think so. And I have a chapter in Tunics about going to my first blogger conference. And, you know, it's been written about before, like it's mom's gone wild, which I mean, there were some funny things, but it was all of us just finding our community that we maybe couldn't find in our real life and using our voices that we maybe couldn't in our real life. And, you know, I talk in my book about going to the neighborhood mom prom and never finding my connected people or the people I wanted in my life with the other moms in my neighborhood Mm. or at school, because maybe all you have in common is that you live in the same neighborhood and you reproduced at the same time, you know, and sometimes it works out and sometimes you become best friends with those people. But if you don't, maybe you'll start a blog and become friends with all these people in New York City, like you and all our other friends who I never could have imagined meeting from my Austin cul-de-sac. But yeah, the blogging opened up my world in such a big way. And it gave me such a way to know that even if people in my neighborhood didn't get me, that doesn't mean I was wrong. I just needed to find the people that did get me. I love that. And I think the lesson is, you know, if you want to write, just write. (laughs) It's it's never been more open to us. You can start an Instagram Mm -hmm. account. You can open a Medium blog. You can do a Substack. You can go on Twitter. Like, just go make it happen. There's ways to do it. My agent used to say to me, writers write by writing. Mm -hmm. And if you're not writing, you're not a writer. So, you know, get out there and do it. And you're so inspiring all the time. Like every time I see you doing new things, I feel like, shoot, I'm not doing enough. Oh, you are. Stop. But I remember when you and Kristen announced at, I think it was at Mom 2.0, you announced you were doing a podcast, this Bond podcast. Yes. We won the first Iris Award for podcasts. Yeah. But I remember at the time, like, what is that? Like, I wasn't even quite sure. And, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, they were like at the forefront. They knew what they were doing well before most of us. So that was impressive. And in my book, I talk about how all of us were digital pioneers. I mean, we had one foot in analog as Gen X and one foot in digital. And I don't think that gets appreciated enough that, you know, we grew up having to go stand up and turn the TV channel (laughs) on the knob on the set. And, you know, now you could land the space shuttle with your iPhone 13. So it's like... (laughs) I will say I had a young 20-something incredibly talented copywriter give me a headline that was some joke about moms not knowing how to text. And I was like, sit down, let me talk to you Uh about our digital backgrounds. <laughs> exactly. So another reminder that life does not end when you're 30, folks, for if we have any younger nope. parents who are listening. Well, listen, Wendy, you are such a delight. I really hope that people pick up all of your books, starting with Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian, which you can find on Amazon, get it from your library, order it from a local indie bookstore. Ideally, it's fabulous. And of course, you can follow Wendy, W-E-N-D-I, Aaron's A-A-R-O-N-S on Instagram and on Twitter. Completely worth your time. She always opens my eyes or makes me laugh or gives me a reason I'm glad I opened social media that day. And your site is gingermancino.com. Is that right? Yeah, for this book. So that's a good one. And I'm working on my regular website, but Ginger Mancino is a good place to find me right now. There are a lot of places to find you, basically. Yeah, you're right. That is my takeaway from all of this. You're right. You're sticking around for Cool Picks of the Week. Yes. And now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! 
So Wendy, as our guest, our second time guest, our returning guest, you get to go first. Well, this is tough because it's so hot in Austin. So I've been kind of shut in and not going outside and watching a lot of true crime, which I know at this point is becoming a cliche that women watch true crime. But I have been really into the Hulu series Under the Banner of Heaven. (gasps) I just finished it this week. It's so good. And I'd read the the book is great. The John Krakauer book. Yes. You have to read it. That goes into way more than just that story. But I thought that was really fascinating and really well done. I watched Under the Banner of Heaven with my partner who is ex-Mormon. So I had, a oh, whole, yeah. I was like sitting there with Wikipedia next to me in bed, like going, oh, that's not true. Oh, they wouldn't say that. Oh, wow. That's really intense. Oh yeah. The crazy people say that. Yeah. It was like having subtitles sitting next to me, like an interpreter. It was so great. Well, that'd be interesting because yeah, it's a fringe aspect of the Mormons. So I'm sure they have lots of very, very fringe. It's definitely not. Uh-huh. Absolutely, Mormons, I think were really upset by the book because they didn't want people to think this is all Mormons. But I think it gets to the point of the yeah. troubling history that's often brushed under the... Anyway, I don't want to give anything away. If you haven't seen it, yes. Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu is fantastic. Andrew Garfield is absolutely amazing in it. It's a great cast. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a great pick. I'm going to go in a totally different direction. So this year, I finally discovered gel manicures. And then I also, soon after, just discovered that they were like destroying my nails. I hated having Mm. to sit for 20 minutes with tinfoil around my fingers to get it off. Like it was not for me, not for me. So anyway, I tried this new nail polish from a company called London Town. Have you heard of it? No. It's like in these little pretty kind of square bottles. I've always seen it. We've even covered it on our site, but I'd never tried it. London Town Lacour, L-A-K-U-R, nail polish. And I tried it at my salon. It stays. I'm looking at my nails right now one week. And this is me typing all day long washing dishes, running after kids, planting things, and it's still on. And I cannot believe I actually found a nail polish that stays on and is not ruining my nails. Frivolous, maybe, but like little moments of joy, Wendy. Little moments, whatever you can get. (laughs) What's your color of choice? You know, I tend to be a black or dark navy nails person, but in the summer I play a little more. So I'll do light blues. I'll do kind of peachy oranges. I'll go with kind of rose gold. Summer's a time to play. It is. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And hey, thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Of course, thanks to Wendy Ahrens and a huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. If you've got a minute and you can leave us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate your time by doing that. It makes us feel good, first of all, but also it helps other listeners like you find us. And of course, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And hey, you can also join us on social media where we are happy to chat about show topics or anything else you have in mind. We're at Cool Mom Picks on Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever you'd like to find us, we are there. Thank you so much for listening to Spawned. This is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.